Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So 2016 was the most tragic year of my life. In 2016, although we had wonderful opportunities to travel, to visit family, to finish or to get closer to finishing school and connect with family and friends. There was an undercurrent to this whole year in our, in our life that was just filled with pain and sorrow and disappointment. So in March of 2016, uh, Chloe and I got pregnant in April we had a miscarriage. Uh, that was nothing we had expected, nothing we had anticipated or experienced before, and it was, uh, it was painful. It was disorienting. And, yeah. wh- you know, what, why? What, what's going on, God? This was not even on the radar. So we kind of have the season of process and family and friends and just there with us through that carry on through the year. Uh, we had scheduled a trip to, to visit my sister and their family in Alaska in September. We find out in early August that we're pregnant again. So very exciting for us. There was like hope renewed and, you know, this is a new thing. And so we go on this three-week vacation uh, to visit our family, have a great time while we're there. Find out that my grandpa, who I'm very close with, uh, has died, and so through a combination of things, we weren't able to get back in time for his funeral, which was, to me, just terribly sad. I was very close with him, and, and so that was just another heavy blow for us. We get back. Uh, I'm able to visit with my grandma and be with them for a while. A um, couple weeks into our getting back, Chloe has a checkup, two, three months checkup for the baby, I'm going to work. It's just a normal thing. Everything's healthy. Uh, and we get, she goes to the doctor. I go to work. And I get this phone call during the day. And, it, and it's Chloe. It says, babe, we lost the baby. Whew. And I was just like, I had no words. Right? It was like, I just had to run to the, to the prayer room. I was working at a church. And I was just like, why? Like, why, God? Why is this happening? Ooh. And, uh, and, you know, we've all, there's, just, there's a range, right, of, of experiences that we've had. Some of us have been through very tragic things in life, and some of us, in comparison, really can say, well, I've, I feel so grateful. I haven't. But still, we, we all carry a sense of, uh, recognizing that, 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 that life is painful, that things happen that are difficult, there's loss, there's disappointment, and, uh, and we need to learn how to process through that stuff. And yet we realize that culturally, we don't have a lot of patience for grief. Like There's not a lot of patience for grief and loss in our society. Like, we, we know this even in the way that we greet each other. Like The expectation is that you're doing good. I'm good. I'm fine. Whether or not that's true, there's no real, that's not, that's not the point. The point is, how are you doing? I'm doing good. 
and now we carry on. Even if, even if I'm in a terrible place, even if I'm terribly pained and grieving and hurting, hopefully in the church there's, a, there's an avenue of, actually I'm not doing well. Things are not okay. It is not well with my soul right now. I'm in a lot of pain and I'm hurting and I'm grieving. But generally, uh, you know, things... It's not, it's not a matter of whether or not we grieve or have loss or experience pain. But it, so we all, we all have that. But it's, a, it's about what do we do with that? Like where do we go from there? How do we, do we have a way to walk through that? Or, do, or is, it just, is it just too much and we withdraw and we retreat and we, we, we numb ourselves, we isolate ourselves, we, we, we use substance to try to numb the pain? Like there's, it depends on... What do you do with that, that pain? What do you do with that, those feelings yeah. of our grief? There's a book uh, that has really helped me, and I would recommend it to anybody who's going through pain or lament or grief, and it's this book called Lament for a Son. It's this short little book by this guy named Nicholas Wolterstorff. It's a Dutch name, I think. And, uh, and it's really, it's his, he's a philosopher, theologian guy, and he, his son died in a tragic mountaineering accident in Europe. He's in America and he's, so this is this terrible situation and this, it's like a collection of his personal journals praying to God like why, what's this, how do I think about this and then years later it was put into, it was published as a, as a collection of his writings. Uh, this, this is a quote from, him, from his book particularly in the context of how he as a man is is processing. He says, Our culture says that men must be strong and that the strength of man in sorrow is to be seen in his tearless face. But why celebrate stoic tearlessness? Why insist on never outwarding the inward when the inward is bleeding? Must we always mask our suffering? May we not sometimes allow people to see it and enter it? Yeah. And that's just struck a chord with me. I mean, culturally, masculinity is this, this idea that you can't show emotion. Even if you feel it, you have to numb it. You have to suppress it because you need to be strong. And we see in Jesus a different definition of what it means to be a man. He was fully man, after all. And he cries at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, whom had died and whom he would soon resurrect. He, he wept. We're going to look in a bit at a scene of Jesus himself in a place of agony, on the cross, crying out to God in a loud voice. His feeling of abandonment. We are in a Journey to Easter series, and, and we're going to look at something this week, lament, that, uh, that it's not really fun to look at. It's not really, in, it's not enjoyable, but it's something we all experience, something we all go through, and as we journey to Easter, this is a part of the Easter story. It's a, it's a lament that Jesus lets out from the cross. It's one, it's one single sentence. We're going to look at a little bit of the context of that sentence from Matthew 27. Um, but, but we want to look at the underbelly of our, of our human experience. This is a shared experience we all have. Pain, grief, loss, sorrow. And then how are we to process those things as, as followers of Jesus? How are we to process life on that level as we seek to follow Jesus and, and be made like him. So, just to define a few things, uh, grief, the way I'll be talking about it, 
is just a feeling of sorrow caused by loss, disappointment, misfortune, pain, etc. It's the feeling that you experience when something tragic happens. In a general sense, lament is the expression or the vocalization of that feeling. So lament is the way that you vocalize or express the feeling of grief. There's such a spectrum, like in this room right now, there's the spectrum of what it means to lament over what am I lamenting over is, is so wide and so deep and long. It, it, it's so complex that what I want to do this morning is, is, is stay at a level of, of, uh, of anal, analyzing what lament is and, so that, and where it falls on you is, is just where, wherever this is at in your life. Whatever experiences you've had, whatever things you're lamenting over or grieving over, there needs to be an internalization on, on your own level that I can't get to simply by application specifically. So we want to look at this passage from Matthew 27. Jesus is on the cross. He's been abandoned by all of his disciples and, and now he's feeling abandoned by God. Matthew 27, Jesus is nailed to the cross. It says, from, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge. He filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it him to drink. The rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. You know, I wonder, like, why did he have to say it so loud? Right? Like, why did he have to shout it? This is like the confounding, like this, this, this idea of God forsake or abandoning Jesus on the cross has perplexed theologians for millennium, like, why did he have to shout? Like, can't you just internalize this, Jesus, in this moment? Can't you just, is this like a personal feeling that you feel? Like, you don't have to tell everyone how you're feeling. But he shouts it. God in the flesh, fully man, fully God, shouts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's outwarding his inward because his inward is bleeding. He's he's saying, this is how I'm feeling right now, and I don't care who knows it. This is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling, and he's teaching us something. He's teaching us something about how to be honest and to vocalize the pain that we feel and the distance that we feel when there's the presence of pain and and the absence of God. Like, where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting a famous psalm, Psalm 22. This is the first line of Psalm 22 that he's quoting here from the cross. And as he's quoting this, you can imagine he's leaving the, 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 the psalm to be filled in right, by, by his hearers. He's, 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 like if, if somebody quotes the first line of a, of a song you're familiar with, you're, you kind of know what comes next. You know the, the rest of the song and you begin to sing it right. in your head. Jesus is quoting the first line of a, of a well-known psalm and expects the, 
the rest of the psalm to be filled in. This is a psalm of lament. It's, uh, there's half, over half of the psalms, 150 psalms in scripture, over half of them are, are psalms of lament. So there's a, there, I mean, there's, there's a biblical precedent yes. for lamenting yep. in the face of sorrow, grief, despair, loss. Like this is the mode of communication in, when, when faced with grief to God. Like this is how, as the people of God, we're supposed to ap- approach, address, talk to God. In lament, there's, in, in a psalm, uh, laments, psalm laments, there are three main parts, three common components to a lament psalm. Not always, but most often. And it's complaint, petition, and a vow to praise. This is just the three parts at play here. And you can, as you analyze scripture, if you open up a psalm of lament, Psalm 22, whatever it is, they're all over the place, over half of them. You can see, you can kind of find, okay, where, where's the complaint, where's the petition, where's the vow to praise? So in Psalm 22, we have all three of these. I just want to look at it here. First, uh, first verse starts. By the way, the most, the majority of this psalm is a, is a complaint. And that says something about how we have permission to talk to God. Yes. It, says, it says something. It's not a one-sentence complaint. Yeah. It's elaboration. This is how I'm, I'm exploring the full aspects of how I'm feeling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk around in my, in my feelings for a little while, and I'm going to talk to God about where I'm at, and about where he's not, and about how I'm feeling, and about where, what my expectations are, and how they're not being met. Like, we have permission yes. to complain. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, we don't want, we don't, it feels weird to say that. Like, you don't want to... Complain to God, not to God. Yeah, complain, Cameron says, complain to God, not to your pastor. <laughs> no. <laughs> Being playful. We have permission to complain because this is a part of life yes. and when we experience pain, loss, grief, despair, we can either press in or we can withdraw. Yep. Right? The way that God sets it up in Scripture is that as you complain, as you put it, you're pressing in to God. You're holding Him to something. And you're, and you're saying, I'm leaning in. I'm tr- I wouldn't be praying if I was withdrawing. I would be soaking, I would be soaking in my own self-pity or drowning in my own despair. But when you, when you go to God, you're pressing in, you're, you're, you're moving toward him with your circumstances, with your pain and your grief and your sorrow. You have permission to complain, Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. In fact, that's roaring. Like That's, a, that's the word used for a lion's roar. Far from my deliverance are the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. He's simply exploring his, where he's at. This is where I'm at. And things are not okay. Yeah. The next piece is petition. Verse 11, we see the first petition in this psalm. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Verse 19 
through 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. Psalmist is petitioning God. He's saying, be who you are for me right now. I need you, God, to move in my life. I'm holding you to who you say you are. This this implies a trust. It implies a a pre-understanding of who God is. That he is faithful. That he is loving. That he is good and compassionate. And he is near. Otherwise, what am I holding him to? If I don't know anything about who he is, if I don't know that that's true about him, then how can I petition him according to who he says that he is? So when, when you say, do the, like, move in my life, God, be not far from me, save me, you know that that's what he does. He is a savior. Yeah. Be not far from me. This is because you know that he is a God who is near. Mm-hmm. Because you know who he is, you can petition him to be who he is in your life. So you have permission to petition. <laughs> you have permission to, to, to hold God to his word, to hold him he can handle it. Like he can handle your he invites your petition. This is a part of the process of lament that he invites us to go on. The third piece is anticipatory praise or vow to praise. Often coming before any circumstances change. Um it's not forced, but it's welcomed. Often, I think, if we're honest, we jump, we jump here really quick. Yeah. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to, we're just like, oh, I just, I want to hope, I want to hope, I want to hope, I want to, like, get myself here. And when we do that, we're, like, missing, we're forsaking the really important process of pouring out our heart to God and saying, I'm not Okay. I'm not well. I need you to move in my, because I don't see you right now. And then as we, as we pour out, as we let go, as we lament, it's like, it's like the fog that comes in just before the morning dawn. Like the, the hope of God begins to rise in our life. But it's not something that we can conjure up. Right. It's not something that we can manipulate to happen. It's, it's yeah. God working by his spirit to bring hope to what seems like a hopeless situation. But this, again, this is something that we, we don't need to jump to too quickly right. so that we would forsake the process of complaints and petition and really exploring and, being, and pressing into pain to where hope can spring up from the other side. So there's a vow to praise, which is, you have permission to hope. When it comes, when God's faithfulness illuminates your, your perception, you have permission to hold it yeah. and to say, yes, God, that is who you are, and I will hope. And I will, like Psalm 22, verse 22 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And then he just starts preaching. Mm-hmm. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. 
nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. But there's this, there's this dynamic where, where the psalmist is like, oh, now I can see that he heard me. Nothing's changed necessarily, but I know that God's heard me. And when I know that he's heard me, I can, I can begin to hope again. I can receive the gift of hope that he's giving me right now. So you have permission to hope. Welcome it. Receive it. And you're, when you're on this process of grief and, and, and lament, when hope comes, receive it as a gift. Yeah. Like when, when Chloe and I uh, went through this 2016 and the miscarriages, we, um, we had this the prophetic experience where you know, we had just recently found out and we're just like kind of feeling the impulse to withdraw and just like kind of go into our cave and not be with around and just distance ourselves. And, and right then, a good friend called. He's like, hey man, I just felt like God just brought you guys up. Could we come over and just pray for you? And I'm like, yeah, please. And so they count, they're there in moments. And, uh, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a magic kind of pill that everything was better, but it was, it was an illumination and it was like God sees God, and He's giving us hope right now in the midst of our pain. And we continue to walk through that. You have permission to hope. And all three of these combined, you have permission to lament. This is the lament psalm, three parts, complaint, petition, vow to praise. It's all a part of it. It's all a process we, we need to go on as we're following Jesus. You have permission to lament. As you lament, you are not withdrawing but you're pressing in. You're pressing into God because you, whether you feel it or not, you trust him. You trust him enough to pray and to, and to hold him to his word. You trust him enough to say that this hurts and things are not okay, but I know that you are good even though I don't see it and I don't feel it and I don't want to admit it. I'm coming to you and I'm hoping and I'm, and I'm, and I'm telling you how I'm doing and I'm and I know that, you, that, you're, that you're there and that you hear me even when I don't feel it. Amen. So, the, um, the next... So, so then we can ask, well, let's take a step back. Like why, why do we even experience grief in the first place? Okay, I have permission to lament. I don't ever want to lament. I don't, like, why is this a part of my reality in the first place? <laughs> God, if you're good, if this is who you say you are, why do I have pain? Why do I have this thing? Why did my good friend just die? Why did I have a miscarriage? Why do I have cancer? Why is evil present in the world? Why are social institutions broken? Why are so many things wrong with the world? I'm not going to attempt to answer that question. <laughs> I know. What I want to say is that instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. Amen. Instead of explaining, oh, this is why. Logically, you understand, right? This is why everything's happening. Like we live in a broken world. There's no answers to complex questions like this. But God is unique in the fact that in Jesus, he shares 
with us in our suffering. Jesus is fully God on the cross, feeling abandoned by friend and by his own father. He feels the full range of emotion and, and pain and sorrow and grief and despair that we feel throughout our life. He feels what you feel. He suffers with you. That's why Paul can say in, in, in the Philippians 3.10 that I want to know Jesus yeah. in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a fellowship with Jesus yes. in the place of pain and suffering that is powerful because he shares it with you. He's with you, intimately close, connected with you in your pain. And he bears the scars. Right After his resurrection, Thomas doubts, and Jesus says, look, look at the wounds in my side. Look at the wounds in my hand. He, he, the pain he went through, he, he still bears the scars. Right. Yep. Like, that's a part of his, his grief, his pain, his his wounds are a part of his story. Yeah. And, the, and they remain a part of ours as we move forward in this life. They remain a part of our story. It's not something we need to try to shed and break free from, but it's a part of the story of following God. And there's comfort in knowing that, that, that Jesus, in his full humanity and in his full divinity, shares the suffering of the world with us. Yeah. And so what would it look like to give lament its proper place, its rightful place? This is another quote from Nicholas Wolterstorff and found it very moving. So he says this, Standing on a hill in Galilee, Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessings to those who mourn. Cheers to those who weep. Hail to those whose eyes are filled with tears. Hats off to those who suffer. Bottoms up to the grieving. How strange. How incredibly strange. Who then are the mourners? The mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break out into tears when confronted with its absence. The mourners are aching visionaries. Yeah. That really flips, that really redemptively turns the, the way that we see yes. our pain and the way that we see our, our grief and our sorrow. If anyone should know when, when something's happening that doesn't look like the kingdom of God, it should be the people of God. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We've tasted... We've seen, we, we've been taught, we, we have a picture, we have a, a frame of reference for what God's new day looks like. What his kingdom breaking in looks like. We see it in the ministry of Jesus and we see it as in our own church. Like the church is the outpost of the coming kingdom of God. We're to be the ones who, who release the kingdom of God in the world and who showcase the, the, the nature of God's coming kingdom breaking in right now. And so when we see something that doesn't look like that, we can call it out. And when we see something that doesn't look like that in our own life, which is death, which is pain, which is loss, which is, which is all these things, we can lament over it. Mm-hmm. 
and say that this is not how it's supposed to be. Amen. And we can hold God to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Yeah. Break in right now to this reality. What would it look like to be mourning or to be, to be aching visionaries? Mm-hmm. To, to recognize that as we press into pain, as we press into loss and, and, and say, God, where are you? Why? That when we're doing that, we're longing, we're expressing a longing for, for the coming of the kingdom of God. Like, that's prophetic. Like, that's, there's something prophetic about lament. Because it's recognizing the dissonance between what I see and what I know is, is the nature of the kingdom of God. So then in our, in our community, what, what would it look like to give lament its, its proper place? Because we want to be, be healthy about this. Right? We don't want to be so heavy on lament that we don't, we don't hope, we don't have faith, we don't press in for the miracles, we don't believe for, for change. But we also need to recognize the tension that we live in where the kingdom of God has been has, been, has broken into our reality and yet there's such a not yet. There's such a, a, a waiting for the full manifest, for the return of Jesus, for the, for the full breaking in of the kingdom of God in the earth. Right. So in that in-between, what does it look like to give lament, to healthily recognize that this is a part of our reality, right? To not be impatient with grief in our own life and in the life of those in our own community. To, to in, in, in some ways, expect that there are, there are those in our midst, maybe it's me, maybe it's you, who are in pain, who are grieving, who are at loss, yeah. who are experiencing a questioning or, or, or they're in a place of despair. And sometimes we... We, we like to give simplistic answers to complex questions. Yeah. Would it look like simply to just have the ministry of presence? Mm-hmm. Just to weep with those who weep and don't say anything else. Yes. Right? Just, to, just to be with each other in times of pain. Not try to pull out any pocketbook answers. You know, like I said, for us, we had, we had friends and family who who did give us a perspective of hope. Not, not through cliche words or phrases or, or pats on the back, but simply by being there yeah. and believing for that new day with us when we couldn't even articulate it. I think even, even, when, even when we realize that, that lament is not a withdrawal, but it's a pressing in, we can still feel the tendency to withdraw from community. Yep. To withdraw from each other and to say that I, I need to go over here so I can process this. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need to withdraw from the people who I've been called to surround myself with mm-hmm. because this is too much. This is too painful. This, and I, and I, just, I don't, I don't want to hear the cliche. I don't want to hear the, 
the pat on the back. I don't want to I don't want to allow myself to be that vulnerable and allow people to really see how I'm doing, so I need to distance myself and, and pull back. You don't have to go in that process alone. Right. Right? The, it's important to be patient with yourself and vulnerable with, with your community. Right. Uh, so press in. Press in to, to, to safe people and, and it, and, and allow yourself to be vulnerable with them. And, and for those who are on the receiving end, again, simply be there with them and let, 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 let yourself feel a little, bit about, a little bit of what they feel. So to kind of wrap it up, there's a couple different cohorts, if you will, sections of people in the room potentially some of us we're in the middle of it like we're in the middle of pain and grief and loss and we don't know what to do we're asking the why god where are you god how is this possible god we're feeling the pain of loss and the grief of disappointment For some of us, we really, I mean, maybe we're just not emotional people. We just aren't very in touch with, with how we even, we're not self-aware. And that's not I'm, not, I'm not bashing you. I'm just saying, when you experience grief, it's just, it's just kind of like, okay, I, I need to let that pass. And now I want to kind of get back on track. And for some of us, this is not, I mean, this is like kind of not what you expected. You're not really in grief at all. You're not really in the process of of lamenting, you're, you're very, you're doing well, God is faithful, and you're excited about life, and so this is kind of like a little bit of a, oh, it's kind of a downer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To those of us who, uh, to whom grief and despair and loss are, are, not, are not a part of our recent experience, consider this an equipping like a proactive encouragement, yeah. Yeah. like, a, like a, a tool in your tool belt or a, a, a resource in your backpack, which is for the Christian journey. Yeah. That when loss hits, when pain hits, when grief happens, you know, you know what to pull for. You know, you know that you have the resource, you have the process to, com- to, to follow the, the process of, of complaining and, and petitioning and, and waiting for hope to come, but not demanding and not, not, not manipulating it. Mm-hmm. You, know what it you, know, you know that there's a process to go in, and you have a community that you know you can, you can come to right. with that when that happens. Often you'll be on the receiving end. Again, it's not, it's not about cliche answers and simplistic resolutions, but, but simply being there. Um, for those of us who haven't really allowed ourselves to feel our own emotions when we've gone through grief or pain, I think the prayer should be, search me and know me, God. Search me and know me and help me know myself. And when I, when I am experiencing loss and pain, don't, I don't want to numb myself to it. I don't want to just act like it's not there. But I want to be able to pull it, look at it and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling. This is, this is what I'm petitioning you for. Search me and know me would be the prayer. And then for us, for those of us who are in the middle of it, who are in the thick of it, who uh, are, are really at a loss for words, really just asking the why, the, the how could this be, just be comforted by the fact that God shares with you yes. in your suffering. Yes. 
that God is with you in your pain, that he's not abandoned you, even though you feel it, that he's not left you in the lurk, even though he, he seems to be nowhere to be He can handle your why. He can handle your, your, your what. Mm-hmm. Because he, in, in Jesus, in this scene we looked at, he's asked those same questions. Yeah. He's not yeah. caught off guard. He's expecting it, and he invites you to go on the journey of lament. He invites you to say, come, continue to, t- continue to complain, continue to petition, continue to hold me to my word. For I will remain faithful. I will remain faithful. And I am good. And I do love you, and I do hear you. That's not something you can, you can force but it's something that, that God comforts us with as we go on this journey together. Press into to the pain that you feel and know that God, is, God meets you in it. He meets you in it. Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet the resurrection is only days away. His death is, is, is right at the door and the resurrection is just, is just days away. We can, we can lament. We have permission to lament. Our hope, can, our hope can inform our grief but not replace it right away. And, uh, and we can know that the resurrection is only days away. We have that perspective. It doesn't, it doesn't forsake us going on the journey.